Okay, so I was thinking, uh, do you ever have one of them moments where you've done something wrong? And uh, probably never happened to any of you, right? But I've seen this once or twice in movies. I've definitely experienced it, but I've seen it once or twice in movies where someone's done something. They've gone off and done something stupid where they ran off and they fell, or ran off and they girl, or whatever it was. But then they kind of get confronted, for want of a better way, of putting it, and they go, did you do it? And they're in that moment where they can either tell the truth or they can, no, I didn't, and deny it. And because you know the backstory of the movie, you always know if they only tell the truth now, they're going to be all right. But they usually make a mess of it and they go, no, I didn't do it, it wasn't me, whatever it is. And then all hell breaks loose and the whole thing goes backwards and upside down and all kind of messy stuff. Here's the reality of what I believe. Because we're human beings, we're going to mess up. I have a slide that says, what do you do after you sin? Or what happens? What do you do after you sin? And here's the thing. Sin's not a popular word. It's not a popular word in church. It's not a popular word outside of church. Because it's seen as being judgmental and all of that kind of stuff. But just for today, let's just look at the word sin as whatever it is that you do that you, you know you're not supposed to do. Or whatever it is you're not, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're not doing that you know you should be doing. There's a reality in life that inside every one of us, we have a good sense of what God wants us to do and what we should and shouldn't be doing. And we've all, the scripture says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me, well then the scripture is wrong. Okay? And sin doesn't necessarily mean something big and huge. It might just be the little white lie to save someone's feelings. It might just be the, the small thing that we do or don't do. And, and when I was thinking about this and, and, and trying to get ready for this during the week in my me, in me head, it was, it was, um, there was two people kept coming to mind and that was Saul and David. Two kings in Israel. And, and we'll read a good bit from, um, from the scriptures in a minute about them. But, there were two people who held the same role and who both messed up. And actually, if you look at it and if you really have a look at the things, what David did in our kind of... You know the way we always have a hierarchy of what the good and the bad sins are? Do you know what I mean? Like if you're only telling a little lie, it's one thing, but if you murder someone, it's kind of like worth 10 on the scale, where other things are only worth one or two. God doesn't have a scale. As far as he's concerned, you're either in or you're out. Just no, it's no bigger bigger or smaller. But in our eyes, some are bigger than others. And if we looked at that and compared Saul and David, I would have to say David was much worse than Saul. And he'd done much worse things. But yeah, he's the one at the end of the day that God said was a man after his own heart. And Saul was rejected. And I believe that happened because of the way they both dealt not with what they did wrong, but the aftermath of what they did wrong. Because both of them were confronted. Both of them had somebody come to them and go, you did this. It was wrong. And how they both dealt with that was what made the difference between whether they were rejected by God or whether they were actually, like David, called a man after God's own heart. And I want to start um, by just looking at, at Saul. And he's in the book of 1 Samuel. How are you lads? They're already gone in if you want to run into them. 
In 1 Samuel 15. If you've got a Bible on your phone or whatever else and you want to follow with me, we have a bit to do. Saul is after being anointed king and appointed king over Israel by God. And he used the prophet Samuel to do it. Um, and God gave him a job to do. There was this crowd of people called the Amalekites who had been nasty to Israel years past and God wanted them wiped out. You can have an argument with God about wiping people out. That was his deal. I, I don't know what story is around that, I'll be honest with you. But here's the thing. He gave Saul a job to do. And the job was that he was to wipe out everything to do with these people. Their, their lands, their, their crops, their husbands, wives, kids, everything, animals, everything was to be wiped out. And Saul went and did it, but he didn't do the whole job. And um, I'm going to shoot past um, the very beginning. But Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way, and he took the king captive. And all his people he totally destroyed himself. But Saul and the army spared the king, Agag, and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. They were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So in other words, the stuff that wasn't worth much, they wrecked that. But the stuff that they thought was good, they held on to. Even though God had told them not to hold on to it. Is that fair enough? You with me? Okay. So early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel, and he set up a monument in his own honor. And he's torn and gone on down to Gilgal. And when Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul said, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, and they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He said, although you were once small in your own eyes, you became head of the tribes of Israel. God anointed you king, and he sent you on a mission, saying, completely destroy those wicked people. Make war on them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Saul said, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, the king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle for the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice him. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Then it went on, and Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I won't go back with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught a hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Saul said, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people. And before Israel, come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. And Samuel went back with him and worshipped. And it's just a couple of points, I suppose, in, in relation to that. 
One, when, when, when Saul disobeyed the Lord's direct command, he gave him a very specific thing to do. And, and we can go, well, in our lives, maybe you don't hear directly from God what you have to do. But there's a ton of stuff in the scripture that we get fairly directly. Do you know what I mean? There's ten commandments for a start. You can start there, right? And then you can think about all the other stuff that's talked about, even all through the New Testament. Love your enemy. Do you know what I mean? So if we're holding grudges, if we're holding resentment, if we're doing all of that stuff, that's not loving our enemy. If we're gossiping about people, if we're running around with people we shouldn't be around with, whatever it is, God's given us loads of stuff. And he doesn't give us commands just to be a killjoy or to mess us about. He tells us to do things or not to do things to try and keep us safe. Because he knows the best that he has for us. But when the prophet Samuel confronted him, rather than owning it, rather than just going, yeah, I didn't, he came up with a bundle of reasons and blames and excuses. He went straight back to Adam. It was her fault. Do you know what I mean? He blamed his, his um, soldiers. He said they did it. And that they wanted to do it as a sacrifice to God. So rather than owning the sin and asking for forgiveness... He started to try and make out that it wasn't a big deal. He started pointing the finger at the soldiers. And he just basically did anything except responsibility, take responsibility for it. And even when he said, I'm sorry, I have sinned, he did it to get Samuel to come back with him so that he would be honored in front of the people. Because he was afraid of the people. And if he did it, if he did keep the cattle and the sheep, if that was the truth, that the soldiers were saying, no, we need to keep this soul, you can't kill it all, and he did give in to the soldiers, he was still disobeying God, because God told him. So he was living in that whole fear of people more than fear of God. How many of us get caught up in that? God says, do this, do that, and do the other, and then go, well, what will we mammy think? What will my neighbors think? What will such and such? What will they think of me and walk? And we live in that fear of people rather than in the fear of God. And, and when, and here's the bottom line, and Saul refused to repent. He refused to turn around and follow and do what God told him. And he lost the whole lot. He lost the kingdom. He lost his family. He lost everything. And it wasn't because he did wrong. It was because he didn't own it when he was confronted. And then there's another king that comes after Saul called David. Probably the most famous king, him and Solomon, um, in the whole history of Israel. And David gets anointed and he's famous for David and Goliath and being a fellow who sang and, and wrote songs and wrote a lot of the Psalms. And, and he was really, really um, the champion of Israel. But then he went and, and he slept with another man's wife. At a time when he should have been fighting, he did something wrong. And he slept with another man's wife. She got pregnant and he had the husband killed. Now I want to say, if we want to put that on a balancing scale, I think keeping a few sheep and cattle and having someone's husband killed because you had an affair are two fairly different right, things to have done. I think what David did was much more horrendous than what Saul had done. But when David thought he had got away with it, and if you want, if you have a Bible, if you want to go to 2 Samuel, 
They were that getting Uriah, the Hittite, who was Bathsheba's husband, killed in battle. He set him up so that he would be killed. He basically might as well have killed him himself. But when that all happens, in chapter 12 it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now Nathan was a prophet as well. And he was kind of clever in how he did it. Nathan went into him and he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he had brought. I bought, sorry. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children and it shared his food and it drank from his cup and it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler. Instead, he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives, I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And it goes on, and in verse 13, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And it goes on to say what happens afterwards, and the baby died, and then David and Bathsheba, and they had Solomon, and he became the king. But here's the thing, David owned it. The minute Nathan came to him, and the minute he went, you're the man, you're the one who did this, he went, yeah, I am. I did wrong. I own it. And he immediately went to a place of turning back and saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. There was no excuses. There was no trying to blame. There was no, well, if this had happened or that had happened, or they put the pressure on me to do this, she put the pressure on me to do that. I mean, what was I supposed to do? She turned up and said she was pregnant. What was I supposed to do? The only chance I had was to kill him and cover it all up. We've seen this whole cover-up thing, even in the churches over the years here. The amount of people who were hurt, but then when they went to try and get it sorted out, the hurt got compounded by people trying to cover it up and refusing to take responsibility for what had happened. We see it over and over again in people that, that you, you were going to see this even in your life. There's people you're going to be with and you're going to try and help them, you're going to try and do all that stuff, and they just won't own it. And it just compounds the hassle and the hurt. The reality of it is, if we want a life that's a blessed life, if we want a life that's going to live in freedom, if we want a life that's going to live well, then we have to be able to go, yeah, I did it. 
And I'm not trying to prophesy doom and gloom on anybody, but I'm going to guarantee you within the next couple of days, one of you is going to mess up. Probably all of us. And quite possibly by this time next Sunday, we'll have messed up a good bit. And it won't necessarily be another human being that might come to you. It might just be the Spirit of God who'll come and whisper in your ear, that was wrong. And it will depend on whether we justify it and cover it up or whether we admit it and walk into the freedom. I know, I mess up more. I love that phrase where Paul said, I'm the chief among sinners. I think anybody can, can probably argue that one with him. But I'd certainly go, yeah, I'm definitely up there. I don't get it right. I get it wrong more times than I get it right. I do things that I know specifically I shouldn't do. So I sin. The one thing I know I have going in my favor is when I get confronted, I go, yeah. For a long time when I used to get confronted, I used to go, no, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I'd lie through my teeth. It wasn't me. I didn't do that. How could you even think I'd do that? And it's like, besides anything else, the only person I was lying to was myself. The only one I was robbing was myself. Because I could never walk in freedom while I was holding on to something I knew I shouldn't be doing. Or holding on to the lie of covering up what I shouldn't have been doing. David gives us a model for true repentance. He calls out to God for mercy. He wrote a psalm, Psalm 51, around this time. And I just want to read it to you. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. And then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. And then bowls will be offered on your altar. Let's say something. Anyone remember going to confession as a kid? You just go into the little box with the priest. Anyone who comes from a Catholic tradition. And he would give you like three Our Fathers, ten Hail Marys and forty-seven zillion 
holy be to the fathers or whatever it was because it depended on how bold you were and it was called what? your penance you paid back for the sins you had done God's not interested in our penance I know too many Christians who are still trying to pay back penance instead of walking in the freedom that Jesus already got us on the cross brokenness is the only way that we can get rescued from sin. It's the only way that we can get rescued out of it, and it's the only response that's going to save us. The reality of it is that that we have a spiritual poverty, and when I sin, or when any of us sin, and when we do that, and we end up with that blackness inside of us, because we know we're not close to God, because we know we've taken ourselves out of that place with God. That's spiritual poverty. Even in, in the same on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, because they know they're poor in spirit. Because without God, we're poor in spirit. When I separate myself from God, and God's everywhere, so it's kind of hard to get away from Him. But when I do something I know I'm not supposed to do, I break that relationship. And then I end up with this kind of black piece inside of me that the only thing that ever sorts it out. It's when I confess and repent. I say whatever I need to say to whoever I need to say it to. And it's not like I have to try and figure that out because I can promise you, I know in my heart and soul what I need to do. It's having the courage to do it. It's getting it done. Because the minute I do it, I just step back into this freedom and this light and this lightness even in my heart and in my head and in a whole lot of me. And it comes from brokenness. See, if you don't recognize you've got spiritual poverty and we don't recognize we need grace, we're never going to get into the kingdom of God. Because if I don't know that, then I don't need a savior. And the only way into the kingdom is through Jesus. And sure, if I think I have it all together, what do I need Jesus for? Here's the question. The question is, not am I a sinner? Because I think we're all sinners. And I'm not trying to cast suspicions on any of your characters. All right? But we're human. The fact that we're human, Scripture says we will all fall short. Somewhere along the way. So the thing isn't, are we a sinner? The thing is, are we a David or are we a Saul? When God confronts us with whatever it is that we've done, or are doing, or will do, Will we, with Saul, make up a ton of excuses and stories and everything else? Or will we, with David, go, yeah, that was me. I did that. I owned that one. Not so that you can get lambasted and battered and pushed down and get huge repentance thing or penance thing to do but just so that you can get the grace of God to come in and wash you clean. Just so that you can open up the doors of heaven and let God pour blessings into your life. Just so that you can reconnect with your heavenly Father and with Jesus. See, if we own up to them and fall on our face before God and ask for grace and mercy, we get it immediately there's no well i just make it suffer for a few days and then you can have it 
There's no getting grounded. There's no getting bashed. There's no getting slapped. It's just like, I'm sorry, God. Grace. I don't want to do this. I do it. I love Paul talks in Romans about that whole thing about, I don't want to be doing what I'm doing, but I do want to do what I don't do, and all of this stuff, and my head is just melted. That's the Irish, that's Brian's translation for that, but it's in Romans 8. But the reality of it is, we do stuff and we will do stuff that maybe we didn't want to do, but we did it. And part of us wants to do it. But it's the part of us that we don't want to be having control over others. So do you attempt to justify your sinful actions? Or do you own up to them and fall on the grace of God? Because it's when we're broken that God will heal us. And he'll take all of our stuff, all our filthy rags, all our mess-ups, all everything, and he'll chop them. He'll swap them for the riches of Jesus. He'll forgive us and he'll clothe us. And do you know what? Them tears that you cry when you're broken like that get replaced with tears of joy. That brokenness and that mess that's inside of us. And those little shadows and the little ducking and diving and the hiding and all that kind of stuff gets changed over seconds, not even overnight, in seconds by the blood of Jesus. Seconds. And in case anyone's in this room thinking, I know what I'm talking about. I experienced this in the last 10 days. Because I had done something I shouldn't have done and I needed to repent of it. And I was confronted and I had a choice. Do I make up excuses or whatever? Or do I just go, yeah, I messed up. And I know the grace of God. And that's not the first time that's happened. Hopefully it might be the last, but the chances are I still have breath in me and blood in my veins. It probably won't be. But the reality of it is grace is never ending. It's always there and it's always going to be there. But we have a choice whether we access that or we do the whole soul game. And we kind of go, look, I don't need it. I'm okay. I didn't do anything. So I'm going to play um, a song. It's called Amazing Grace. Uh, my chains are gone. It's just on a, There's nothing on the slide even. It's just going to be the song. It's on the next slide, Usher. And we have a few minutes. And I am not looking to be your priest or your confessor. But I am looking for you to have a couple of minutes with God. And if there is something that you know he's putting his finger on and you shouldn't be doing, then I want to really, really, really ask you to give it to him and to say, God, give me the grace to forgive me and to heal me and to set me free that I don't do this again. And that just might even be your attitude. If there's something you need to talk about and you need prayer for, I'll hang around up the front. But don't leave today carrying something that you came in here with. If you've been carrying a hurt and you've been holding that pain and holding that resentment, then let it go. Let Jesus have it. He'll take it off you today. And he'll give you grace for it. And Father, I just pray that as, as we sit,
for the next two minutes while this song is on. That your spirit would minister into our hearts. That you would, you would clean us. Lord, that you would renew a steadfast spirit in each and every one of us. That you would create in us a clean heart. That you would give us your grace and you would help us to own what we need to own and to walk in the freedom that you bought for us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.